0: How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co host, Tim Jensi. Tim, how's it going, sir?
1: Been going great, and it's been honestly not that bad of an introduction to a holiday season despite the COVID.
0: Despite the COVID?
1: Yeah. Nice. It's feeling festive. The only thing missing is hockey.
0: Oh, I know, that's the only thing missing, but, you know, cross our fingers, the World Juniors will be starting up here in a couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, and uh, hopefully we'll have an NHL season starting by the 15th of January. Hopefully. In theory.
0: So, Tim, let's talk about today's episode, because today's episode is our 2020-2021 season preview episode. This edition is for the Western Conference.
1: This has been a big amount of work,
0: eh? It has been. And, you know, we finally got a chance to finish up recording the Western Conference editions today. And it was a lot of work to put together. It was a lot of work recording and writing for it. So I hope everybody out there enjoys the Western Conference edition as well as the Eastern Conference edition coming up, hopefully, next week.
1: Yeah, so let's explain what we did here. Because uh, I think we... Briefly through this idea, but I'm not sure if we've ever actually thrown it about on the podcast itself. But we went and got a bunch of representatives for each Canadian team.
0: Exactly. So how we did it, Tim, is that I went on to Twitter, I went on to iTunes, SoundCloud, all that good stuff. And I purposely went out and tried to look for representations for every canadian nhl franchise bring them on the show chat about the 2021 season about their team so for today's edition we actually have four guys that are going to be featured here on the program we have Braden ursell representing the vancouver canucks mike gold representing the calgary flames preston Hodgkinson representing the edmonton oilers and our returning bod of the pod adam young representing the winnipeg jets
1: you know, I thought you were going to, like, list all of these affiliations and then just drop, oh, and for Winnipeg, Adam.
0: <laughs> Honestly, I could do that, but I didn't. No, no. So, Tim, let's talk about a little bit about recording these segments. Because, as you said, like, this was a lot of work to put together. It was very time-consuming. And I think it's safe to say that, overall, I'm very happy how the segments turned out.
1: Yeah, no. I think uh, for the folks listening to the show, uh, you're going to get a much better idea of the state of the Canadian teams in the NHL than if you just let us kind of pontificate for an hour like we've previously done. Because uh, we got people who follow these teams to a very detailed degree. Uh, several of them do this professionally too. So uh, we got some pretty pretty interesting analysis coming right up.
0: Absolutely. Like, we're not just going out there getting any scrub or third line plug to record these segments. Like, we went out and we found podcasters, bloggers, people who we thought would be great for these segments. I thought they, I thought it turned out really well. So, what were some of the takeaways you took away from recording? Because I know for myself, I don't want to be that guy. I don't know if I would do this again just because of how time consuming and how much work really went into this
1: it's tough because getting a lot of people together during a holiday season no less is it's hard work but I I really enjoyed it and I think yeah we we got some good stuff out and I think I learned something about kind of some fan perspectives definitely about the Calgary Flames at uh, Edmonton Oilers uh Vancouver Canucks too uh yeah oh and uh, of course the Jets I think I really kind of appreciated the viewpoints of some of these fandoms a bit more which sounds a little odd to say for someone who's lived near vancouver for a lot of his life and currently lives in calgary
0: <laughs> absolutely but i mean it, it's a little different for us just because yes we may live by those cities but our allegiance to a canadian franchise is elsewhere exactly so tim get started i believe we should get this stuff this get show started so We're going to send it off to Brayden Ursil, our representation for the Vancouver Canucks. Kicking off the Western Conference portion of our season preview show, representing the Vancouver Canucks of the Pacific Division, is the co-site expert of the Canuck Way, as well as a staff writer for the Canucks blog, Nux Misconduct, and the co-host of the PP1 Podcast. Please welcome to the show from Vancouver, BC, Braden Yersol. Braden, how's it going? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on the show, guys.
2: A lot of fun to be here. Uh, I love talking about the Vancouver Canucks, so any chance... I have to jump on a podcast and talk about them, brag about them, especially to another uh, podcast like you guys, the Ottawa Senators fans. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. It's an honor to have you on, Braden. Now,
0: firstly, before we go any further, did I pronounce your last name correct? Is it Ursel or yourself Ursel. Ursel. Okay. Apologies. Yeah, very close.
2: Yeah. I hear a lot of different pronunciations, actually, so Ursal's all good.
0: Okay. So, Braden, given this is your first time here on the Third Line Plug Sense cast with us, we got to get to get a little bit to know you and i feel the best question to ask given that since we started this podcast three years ago we love asking fans how they became fans of a certain team that you're for so how did you become a fan of the vancouver canucks
2: well uh i grew up on the island and um it's just uh i think my first game i saw was probably about four or five years old and the canucks had Recently, kind of switched over to the Orca logo, and uh, it's kind of funny. I was, pro- I was probably probably one of—I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie uh, Free Willy. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so yes. I was a big fan of Free Willy, and then those Orca jerseys came out, and I got to into a game. Um, you know, my parents <laughs> bought me a jersey. Uh, Pavel Bure was a part of the team, and you know, watching the Russian Rocket was something pretty special. So it was probably a mix between you know Free Willy, a little bit of Michael Jackson, and uh, <laughs> sounds like a there.
1: match made in heaven, man.
2: Yeah, for sure. No, uh, but honestly, uh, it's probably because of Pavel Burry, watching him, uh, first time I set my eyes on him. I mean, it was it was an 8 nothing blowout, actually. Uh, the Flyers won 8 nothing in Vancouver, but um, I remember Burry was just fun to watch. He was super fast. Uh, the rest is history from there.
0: It's amazing that you mentioned Pavel Burry, because I mentioned before we hit record that I grew up a Vancouver Canucks fan, and it actually, as well, it was also because of Pavel Burry is why I was a fan of the Canucks.
2: No, for sure. I mean, how could you not be after watching him? Uh, just crazy Russian kid, super fast, super skilled. I mean, it was it's a shame his career ended early, you know?
0: It is, but you know what? If you're going to play the way that he did, unfortunately knee injuries are a uh, byproduct of how he played his game. But I am glad to see that we at least got his prime years with the Canucks scoring back-to-back 60 control seasons.
2: No, oh, 100%. I mean, he was uh, probably the best player to watch around that time, other than Gretzky, in my opinion. Uh, It's just an absolute goal scorer. I mean, probably the best goal scorer you see now is Alex Ovechkin, so that's a good comparison right there.
0: I actually was going to say Elias Pettersson nowadays with the Canucks, given that, you know, because it was against Ottawa, he scored his first NHL hat-trick, and Tim and I said on the show, we're like, this kid's unbelievable. Like, we've heard so much about him, but given that we cheer for the Ottawa Senators, we tend to focus on the eastern conference i didn't realize how good this kid was until i saw him i was just like whoa like this is what a younger generation is like what is us watching pavel
2: yeah hell yeah i mean i had the the same feeling the first time i saw Pedersen. i remember remember actually i took my girlfriend down to they have a, a young stars tournament in in penticton every year um to watch all some of the prospects and so i took my girlfriend down it was the year after Besser kind of broke out. And I remember thinking, oh, I want to buy a new Besser jersey. You know, they just switched over to the Adidas new looks. There's great. Let's get Besser. My girlfriend, not really knowing too much about hockey at the time, I uh, was like, no, no, like we're here to see Pettersson. Like who's this Pettersson guy? Like get one of those jerseys. And I'm like, no, I don't really know Pettersson. I don't know who he is, right? Big mistake though. Big mistake because the guy just blew up 10 goals in his first 10 games. Absolutely. Best hockey player I've ever seen on the Canucks, like at that time when I'm watching, like this, it, can't, it doesn't get any better than this. I mean, like 10 goals in 10 games, this guy's unstoppable. Um, obviously, you know, the season's still down a bit. He still won the rookie scoring title, but amazing player. Uh, I think he's he's got the ability to, to do bigger and better things than the Sedin Twins. And, you know, comparing him to Pablo Bure, is, you know, it's well deserved. They're completely different players uh, the more he plays, but he just has that drive. He's got that ability to be a great goal scorer. Great playmaker. Um, I actually think he's on probably a better overall player than Pablo Murray was.
0: Now you mentioned earlier that you grew up on the island. So given that I am also from Vancouver Island, whereabouts did you grow up on?
2: I actually uh, I spent three years. It was a short amount of time actually on a place called Gabriola Island, uh, just oh, okay. off the of I believe little ferry ride um, over from there. So, And then I actually spent the majority of my life in a place called Kelowna, B.C., which is about four hours inland in the interior. So it's actually a a big uh, hockey retirement city. Lots of retired players in Kelowna.
0: Yeah, well, and I think Um, that's actually... Sorry? It's a big retirement town for a lot of NHLers. I know guys like Wade Redden is also retired out in Kelowna as well.
2: Well, it's generally
1: also retired for people with money.
2: Yeah. My dad uh, actually... uh, for a little side job for a while he was doing like home entertainment systems and he actually uh he actually was the guy that did wade redden's house so it's funny that you mentioned that
0: <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah so brayden we mentioned right off the top that you are the co-site expert of the canuck way as well as a staff writer for next misconduct and the co-host of the pp1 mm-hmm. podcast so talk to us a little bit about for how did you become a part of canucks blogging and the pb1 podcast did you see this more as an extension of what you're doing with those blogs or did you see it as its own separate thing
2: right yeah okay well you know i've been a big fan of vancouver hockey for a long time you know i had a, a job in high school selling jerseys at the mall which was fun as well but i never really never really took it anywhere but i always had a, a passion for writing and stuff so um i got listening to podcasts out here when i was when i was working and there's a guy I don't know if you guys have heard of him out there, but he's he's doing some pretty big things now. His name's Chris Faber, and he writes for a place called Canucks Army. He actually just got picked up by Sportsnet 650. He's doing some really good work. But uh, I was listening to his podcast, and he's just kind of talking about if there's anyone kind of like him that likes that sort of thing, likes writing about the Canucks, you know, jump out. I reach out and see what see what will happen. So I reached out to him, and the next thing you know, he's got me uh, a gig at the Canuck Way. And then uh, a couple months after that, I got the site expert role, so – you know that's been i've been there for about a year now and then uh kind of right around that time i started the pp1 podcast and it just kind of came together i reached out to an old friend that i worked with at that jersey shop about starting our own podcast and he just happened to know a friend and the next thing you know uh you know we're now we're we're in our second season i think we're coming up on 70 episodes now it's been a lot of fun um there are two completely different projects sorry to get all sidetracked they are completely two different projects but um they're definitely both there to kind of help me along the way with my writing and learning and all this sort of stuff. So, I run the podcast just with two friends, and then the uh, the Canucks Way is, is is brought to you by Fansided, which is the website I, I work for.
0: it. So, Braden, let's start talking about the Vancouver Canucks now. The 2019-20 season was one where Canucks fans finally got to see the fruits of their labor pains of four straight losing seasons come to fruition with their first playoff berth since 2015 and their first series win since 2011. Now, many mm-hmm. factors played into this. Of course, the young core played a huge factor with Elias Pettersson, was second in team scoring, Quinn Hughes' 53 points-led defenseman, and was a runner-up as a Calder winner last year. Bo Horvat came up big time in the playoffs and of course Thatcher Demko stole the spotlight with his play versus Vegas in the playoffs. The Canucks mm-hmm. also made some really great pickups most notably with TJ or JT Miller and Tyler DeFoley boosting the Canucks. Jacob Markstrom played fantastic going 23-16-4 was the front runner for the Vesna, and very early on it looked like he was a possible Hart Trophy candidate as well. Vancouver did see a number of their players depart for free agency, most notably Tyler Dufoli and Jacob Markstrom. Outside of their acquisition of Nate Schmidt from Vegas and the signing of Braden Holpe, Jim Benning has been pretty quiet this offseason due to a lack of cap space. The big storyline mm-hmm. for the Canucks heading into the offseason was their goalie controversy between Markstrom and Demko. The debate between the two really heated up in the playoffs, like I said, as Demko... Absolutely stood on his head versus Vegas. So mm-hmm. overall, how did you feel about the Canucks' off season? And also, how do you feel about the Canucks' season last year?
2: I'll start off, if you don't mind, when I talk about the season. It was their 50th year, and you know it, it couldn't have went much better than it did. Um, it was a it was a year where Jim Benning needed to make the playoffs. That was his goal. Otherwise, it was probably looking like you know his job was as as a manager of the Canucks was was going to be over. Goes out and acquires J.T. Miller for that high-priced first-round and third-round pick. A lot of people weren't happy about that. Guys on my podcast were not happy about that. And then, but then you know, a whole year goes by, and you know, everyone's completely forgotten about that trade. It was probably one of the best trades the Canucks have made in recent years. J.T. Miller turns out to be the best player on the team, leads the team in points, absolute stud, two hundred foot player. And you know, they probably don't make the playoffs without him. And then you got a question about Pedersen. Pedersen's coming back after his rookie year. You know, he's. He's on the map at the NHL. People know who he's it, who he is. They're targeting him. People are wondering about that sophomore slump. Guess what? He comes back. He maybe not as flashy, maybe not as nice, but um, just as good. Better points per game, pace. Like he proved, he's you know he's he's not going anywhere. He's going to be in an awesome, awesome center for the Canucks for a really long time. Um, then on top of that, you still have Quinn Hughes. I mean, <laughs> like you said, fifty-three points leads all rookie defensemen in points. All rookies in points doesn't win the Calder. Uh, a bit of a heartbreaker there, but you know, Kel McCarr was great too. All in all, it was it was a good season for the Canucks. I mean, they made the playoffs, so that was success. Everything from there was was uh, was a bonus. And I mean, they they started off by beating uh, Minnesota. It was a fun, entertaining series, and then they and then they beat the Stanley Cup champs, and they took the Vegas Golden Knights to seven games. I mean, it was a pretty pretty nasty series. The Canucks didn't probably didn't deserve to make it through seven games. They were pretty gassed, but Thatcher Demko stood on his head, and it was it was a great year. I, as a Knox fan, I was, I was super stoked about it. Like it was kind of one of those years where everything needed to go the way it did and it did for them. So, I mean, it was a great year of football learning experience for the young guys, but now going into the off season, I, we we're hoping to see some of those guys re-signed and um, to kind of help push that team. Like this team starting to look like, hey, like we've shown up in the NHL. We're ready to compete, except we've kind of lost some of those pieces now. And some of those bad contracts signed a few years ago, you know, Louie Erickson, Brandon Sutter, Antoine Rousseau, so. those those contracts are biting us in the ass now. Um, I think a lot of people think the Canucks are taking a step back. And I I, I think, you know, out of all the Canadian teams, they're probably the team that uh, had the worst off season, like in terms of getting better. But, I mean, you, you know, Markstrom's a great goaltender. Um, Braden Holpe didn't have a great season, but, you know, a couple of years ago, he's a Stanley Cup champion. A couple of years before that, he's a Vesna winner. Um, so I'm excited to see the combination of goaltenders there. Um, and then, you know, Nate Schmidt, he's a different type of defenseman than Chris Tanev. Uh, Tanev's a great defensive defenseman, but Nate Schmidt's uh, probably one of the better offensive defensemen in, in, the, in the Canadian division now. So I think the Canucks got a good solid one-two punch there. Honestly, just with how good last season went, I think it's going to be it's gonna be hard for the Canucks to to maintain that pace again this year. It's going to be a struggle. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's, it's going to be tough. But I know I think I think Benning kind of he kind of figured out you know he's got to uh, got to let some bad contracts uh, expire you know he's got to save room for uh, Quinn Hughes and and Pedersen because they're coming up with new contracts soon. But I mean overall, like I'm excited. I, I think we couldn't sign players because of the cap situation, and um, but in this situation, we're gonna have a lot of youth come up, so it's gonna be a second push for the youth here in Vancouver. And we're going to have to see how Patterson, Hughes, Horvat, Demko, those guys, how they can respond to now becoming um, veterans and becoming like big locker room leaders. And just to see how far we can push them to, to push this team.
0: Well, I know that Jim Benning, a lot of people were calling for him to finally move on from the Louis Erickson contract. And I understand that there was a lot of teams that couldn't afford it. And I was hearing some slight I don't want to say slight rumors but there was definitely rumors about the possibility of Brock Besser leaving town too and I know Ottawa was a team that was rumored to land them and I just remember thinking I was saying to Tim I said you know what if I am Pierre Doran, I'm calling Jim Benning be like listen I know you have to get rid of Erickson we'll give you a high second round pick the only thing is Brock Besser comes with us yeah And I understand, like, for Besser, he wanted a first-round pick, but I'm thinking, okay, give the Sens, give him a high second, and move on from there.
2: Yeah, and like you said, I think a lot of fans, a lot of different fans of different teams, you know, when they're trying to get rid of a deadweight contract, which the majority of the league probably was trying to do this year, just in terms of the cap situation, what team are they all looking at to trade with, though? They're all looking at Ottawa. Right, Ottawa, maybe Detroit, you know, those bottom-feeder teams that have a lot of space. Yeah. So then Ottawa's got all the power for uh, what you're getting back in that trade situation. I mean, it, 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 you're, you're probably right. Something probably could have happened there, but, like, I mean, uh, Jim Benning was pretty, pretty adamant that, like, he was keeping Brock Besser unless something... Really nice came along, and I think he had probably had better options through Minnesota with Matt Dumba. Or you know, they weren't looking for picks; they were looking for defensemen. So I just I don't think there was something there that would have ever worked for the Canucks, unfortunately. I mean, obviously you want to move a guy like Louis Erickson, but at the cost of a Brock Besser, that's that's a tough call.
0: Fair enough. So, Brayden, one of the big priorities Vancouver will have this off this upcoming season will be the contract extension for th- three key players, Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, and Thatcher Demko. With Brock Besser and Bo Horvat already under contract past this upcoming season, resigning those three would be a huge step for the Canucks, as Pettersson has already proved to be one of the most electrifying players in the league. Hughes looked like a seasoned veteran in his rookie season last year, and Demko made huge strides in becoming a franchise goalie for Vancouver. Mm-hmm. These extensions will be tricky to get done given that the NHL has now a newly implemented flat cap due to COVID-19, but I could see this working out in their favor with over $21 million coming off the books in twenty one twenty two. regarding these extensions. How do you see this going down? Do you think we're going to see more shorter bridge deals or do you see these guys going in for the cash in now contracts?
2: <laughs>
0: that's the, that's the funny
2: thing. I mean, I think before this crazy COVID year, I would have 100% both guys' long-term contracts, make an eight-year deals. I'd like them to be possibly have the same cap hit too and give them the same contract. I'm not sure how that works. I'm not really the money professional. I think good centermen's probably get a little bit more money than a good defenseman. But, uh, I mean, they're both franchise players. And, I mean... If we're if we're looking at those contracts, we're talking bridge deal. Then we're probably talking a lower number, like you know, around nine million. But if we're talking long term, eight year deals, we're probably probably around the ten million mark. But I'm just not really sure. If I'm betting, like as a Canucks fan, I want those long term deals, like hundred percent, get those eight year deals done and over with. Uh, I don't want to think about it anymore. But um, but the way the league has been going around and how many crazy bone like. Uh, Deals you saw in free agency because of COVID, a lot of young defensemen, RFA defensemen too, are signing bridge deals. So I think you'll see that it's likely we might see a bridge deal or two, but I think it's too early to tell. I think the goal is to get that long-term deal. It's just, it's really going to depend on what Benning decides to do.
1: One thing on Jack, sorry, Quinn Hughes that is uh, promising for the Canucks is uh he'll only have two full seasons under his belt, which puts him in the 10 to- 10.2 C category instead of a Group Two RFA, so he is not eligible for an offer sheet. So that gives the Canucks a bit more leverage if they want to bridge.
2: Oh hell yeah, for sure, hundred um, percent. But like I said, like if I'm if I'm the Canucks, I'm going. I'm looking for those long term contracts. But I mean, the way the, but the way the rest of the league's going, it's probably going to be a bridge deal.
0: As said earlier, the Canucks were pretty quiet this off season, with the exception of signing Braden Holpe and. This is a guy I actually wanted to talk about because I know that Canuck fans were quite upset to see Jacob Markstrom leave and then, of course, ended up in Calgary, which, you know, disappointed a lot of Canucks fans. But I was actually really surprised by the mixed reaction that the Holt piece signing got, given that, as you said earlier, he has been an elite goalie. He won the Stanley Cup a few years ago with Washington, excluding last season where he obviously we had a really down season. This was a shorter deal than expected as he got a two-year deal worth $8.6 million. And I could see him splitting the goalie duties with Demko this coming season. So overall, what were your thoughts on the Canucks signing Holpe and what kind of expectations should fans have for him this coming season?
2: I honestly, I loved the deal. Um, as much as I loved Jacob Markstrom, I didn't want to re-sign him. I mean, if the price was right, sure. But like, it just wasn't. It wasn't in the ballpark. He was getting at least six years or maybe five years, but he's getting a big chunk of money. Um, I love the fact that management believes in Demko now. Like They've always talked about him being the goaltender of the future. I've always believed he's going to be a better goaltender than Markstrom is going to be, than, than he is. So I'm pretty happy about it. And I'm really thrilled to get a guy like Braden Holpe as well. I thought Holpe would have been one of those uh, goalies that would have cost um, longer term. But I, in my opinion, he, other than Markstrom, he was the next best available option and the Canucks grabbed him at a, at a pretty sick price um, 4.3 per season and it's actually heavily weighted on the second year and kind of a, what I would guess to be some sort of kind of protection plan for that second year for this expansion draft but I mean overall I'm, I'm excited to see Braden Holpe come in um, he's, he's one of the, one of my favorite goalies in the league I always liked watching him in Washington um, and I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do under the goaltending coach Ian Clark uh, the Canucks have one of the best goaltending coaches Across the league, he's been with Markstrom and Demko through their whole careers, and they've Markstrom went from a pretty bad, pretty bad goalie to one of the best goalie tenders in the league, in my opinion. So um, I'm excited to see, you know, that and that was a big. I don't know if I mentioned, but that was a big signing point for Brayton Hopi too. Like uh, when he knew he was going to be working under Ian Clark, he was pretty stoked about it. I like the deal because it uh, for the Canucks, it's they're saying to Demko, hey man, this is your chance to step up and to show us you're the man. And, but if he's not the man, um, we have a great goaltender who can totally take over for the next two years as well. So I think the Canucks, they're in a great goaltending situation. I mean, they got, I think they're going to have one of the better goaltending tenants in the league.
0: I would agree with that. And I do see that regardless of how Holtby plays for the Canucks next season, like say he has another down season, Demko takes over, Demko can definitely have a, a mentor in Brayden Holtby now on the bench. Like if he has a down game, if he has those kind of thought process of okay maybe I'm too young to take the reins he can sit him down and be like hey listen this is what you're gonna do this is how you gotta prepare this that next thing so I, I do see it that way and I think it would probably be another situation like in Washington where Ilya Samsonov all of a sudden became their number one goalie after Braid Holpe was deemed their number two
2: and I think there's a lot of uh a lot of feeling going around Canucks Twitter and the Canucks universe that. That Thatcher Demko is the starter, and uh, as much as I would love to see Thatcher Demko be the starter, I don't, I don't know what in what people's heads they just think he's automatically the starter over a guy like Brayden Holby. I mean, we're talking about a Stanley Cup champion, a Vesna winning goaltender. Yeah, sure, he didn't have the greatest season last year, but you know, neither did Thatcher Demko. I mean, he had some pretty great games. He was good in some spots, but uh, you know, a three game performance as good as it was, one of the best historic goaltending performances I've ever seen. I, I don't think it's enough to, you know, to just be granted the number one position just like that. I think it's going to be a dogfight for that position, but they're going to have each other, you know, for support as well. So I think Demko could probably win the spot halfway through the year and be the starter at the back half of the season. But I would wouldn't be surprised if these your starter to start the year.
0: With the departures of Troy Stetcher and Chris Teneff on defense, Jim Benning answered by making the trade with Vegas to acquire Nate Schmidt for a third rounder. Schmidt is a guy who really came into his own offensively, recording 30-plus point seasons in the past three years with the Golden Knights. Getting him for only a third was actually a steal for Vancouver, and it gives Quinn Hughes a great compliment on that top pairing. What were your thoughts on the Schmidt trade, and what expectations are you putting on him this coming season?
2: Love the trade. Absolutely love it. Uh, I don't know if you guys were hearing the rumor mills that I was hearing around that time, but uh, the Canucks were apparently pretty hard in after Oliver Eckman Larson uh, for a while. Um, Obviously, nothing came to fruition. So, you know, knock on wood there. But uh, Nate Schmidt, happy to have him. Uh, He covers a couple different uh, holes, and that's why I really like this trade. because, I mean, it only costs a third-round pick for this guy, which is great. He comes in uh, just a shit under $6 million. He's a little too high in price, in my opinion, especially on, you know, the back um, half of that contract. and He's got five more years. But, I mean, at the age he is, uh, he covers a lot of good spots for the Canucks. I mean, for this season, um, he's a great uh, addition to the top four in the absence of Chris Tanev. They're two completely different defenders, but... If you watch any of those Canucks games in the playoffs, uh, they were hemmed in their own end. They couldn't get the puck out, especially against Vegas. Like it was, it was embarrassing. It was men versus boys type hockey out there. So I think by going after a guy like Nate Schmidt, he's a real puck mover. Um, he's really good at bringing that puck up and out of the out of the zone, and he's really good at uh, you know getting some offensive scoring chances as well. And I know you mentioned he'd be a great uh, a partner for Quinn Hughes, but if I'm the Canucks, I'm actually probably putting him on the second pairing because I don't know what. Um, if you if I, if I got two great puck moving defensemen, I want to split up their minutes as much as possible. We'll try to get 45 minutes out there, especially when you got a uh, Alex Edler. You know he's 34, maybe 35 years old now. Tyler Myers, um, he can't handle um, huge huge minutes every single night. He's good for like a four or five spot, but um, no, I'm happy. I'm ha- Like I said, I'm happy we got Nate Schmidt. Um, I think he he'd be great with Hughes in like a power play role or when we're when we're trying to uh, catch up on a lead but he's going to be a great he's going to be a great player for us this year and then he's going to also be a great player for us when Alex Everett gets older as well because H Schmidt's a left-handed shot but he plays on the right side so he can play either side he's just a good pickup overall and I'm happy to have him
0: so Tim yeah. do you have any questions you have for Braden? Oh no sorry I, I muted myself silly <laughs> hey,
2: but no,
1: no. no I think we've kind of covered many of the big things that connects the land especially uh, expectations around this team and I guess the question, it, actually one question, it's not exactly a Canucks question per se, is uh, where do you think the Canucks sit in the Canadian division? And do you think a Canadian division will hamper their ability to make the playoffs?
2: That's a good question. I like that. I think after watching the playoffs last year or this summer, um, the Canucks showed that they're one of the better Canadian teams. Um but then it was it was kind of a funny funny offseason. I mean, every Canadian team, in my opinion, got better except for the Canucks. Um, Canucks are kind of just staying afloat. Um, but in an all-Canadian division, I mean, I, I honestly think it could go a lot of different ways. But uh, it's really going to depend on how much that core, that young core of the Canucks can kind of take that next step as leaders. Um, but I probably see them, you know, right around the bubble. Like uh, probably, you know, as high as three but as low as even five so it's going to take a good good year from all their core players great goaltending but um i think they are a playoff team if the, if the chips fall the right year.
1: so braden we can get- well, you also yeah. get to feast on uh weakling teams like the senators so that helps
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean uh it's, we're not going to be playing you just twice a year which is good but i mean I think this is really exciting for everybody. Like all Canadian, all Canadians, all fans of hockey, uh, this isn't going to happen, you know, very often. So I think we got to take advantage of it and then just enjoy enjoy the, all the Canadian battles. It's going to be awesome.
0: Honestly, I can't wait. If the NHL truly does go with a Canadian division, like I can't wait to see, you know, Brady versus Matthew. I can't wait to see some of the battles we're going to see in the Canadian division. So, Braden, first of all, we can't thank you enough for taking some time out of your schedule today to join us and two things before we let you go first of all where can the people find you on social media and where can our listeners find the podcast pp1 and the blogs that you work for
2: yeah thanks for once again guys thanks for having me on the show it's a lot of fun I'll, i can jump on anytime love talking about the canucks um and yeah i'm a writer for the canuck way i'm on twitter at bkersel 23 so you can find my work at the com, or you can find my podcasts, the PP1 Podcast, all Canucks related with my buddies Ted and Ryan. Um, you can pretty much find it anywhere podcasts are available, Spotify, iTunes, you name it, you can probably find it there.
0: And final question we got to ask, given that all 31 NHL teams released their reverse retro jerseys a few weeks ago, in one word, can you sum up your thoughts on the Vancouver Canucks reverse retro jersey?
2: Sprite. <laughs> Like like the drink, I like think the drink Sprite. It looks like a Sprite can, <laughs> the green and blue and the gradient colors. Um, no, honestly, uh, it's one of those jerseys. Like I love it one day and I hate it the next. Um, they got them down to the team store finally. Uh, I've just been planning to to walk down and take a look in person and kind of make my final decision. But I just downloaded them in NHL 21. They look great in the game, so hopefully they look good in person too.
1: <laughs> How is NHL 21?
2: How is it? Yeah. Oh, man, it's 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 actually a lot of fun. I've been buying them every year for as long as I can remember, probably like face-off 98. So, uh, I mean, I'm kind of just one of those guys that buys it every year, but it's fun. Um, there's some there's some cool new Deeks this year. It's actually kind of a bit harder. Like, I brought the uh, – I had to actually put the level down a bit. I don't know if I just don't play as much anymore now that I'm older and in school and stuff, but, uh, no, it's fun. You should check it out if you have the chance.
0: Right. Did you get the pre-order that came with the NHL 94 retro?
2: I did, yeah. And? Yeah, it's cool, man. It's cool. Awesome. Thanks so much, Braden. All right, thanks, guys. You guys have a happy holidays, there. You too, buddy. Cheers. You too, bye. All right, take care.
0: Presenting the Calgary Flames of the Pacific Division, is the co-host of the Flames podcast, The Blasty Cast, and is a staff writer for Flames Nation. Please welcome to the show, from our tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, Mike Gold. Mike, how's it going? Welcome to the podcast.
3: Hi, I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Thanks uh, Thanks for bringing me on. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, no worries, man. No worries. You know, we're really excited to have you on the podcast because, obviously, we get to talk about a team... In a city where you live, but only my co-host, lives in. So, Mike, given this is your first time on the podcast, I feel the best way to do this is... We're going to do a little bit of getting to know you. Because, like I said, this is the first time you've been on the podcast. And first time we get a chance to talk with you. So, one thing I love about doing this podcast is I love finding out about how people became a fan of certain teams that they cheer for. Now, for yourself, do you mind talking to us a little bit about how you became a fan of the Calgary Flames?
3: I mean... I grew up in Calgary, so it's sort of you know a prerequisite. If you don't, if you're not a Flames fan, by the time you turn ten, you know you sort of you have a little sit-down chat with with somebody, and they, they sort of instill it into you. And uh, for me, it came naturally, just growing up. By you know after the lockout, the team was pretty good, and uh, Jerome was obviously the guy who made it really easy for everybody in Calgary to get into the game just a perfect ambassador for the team and the community you know for the fans who maybe grew up they were maybe you know 7 or 8 around the 2014ish that that sort of time of year for or that sort of time in the flames rebuild you know it might have been a little bit harder for them to become fans because the team just wasn't really worth watching all that much but i really became a fan of the team sort of around that 2007 2008 period where the flames, you know, they had Jerome and, and it was sort of a weird period for the, for the team that was, you know, after the nineties where they had some issues bringing in guys and keeping in the talent they were developing. Uh, they became sort of a team that every year it seemed that they were able to bring in a new player and a a really big new acquisition. So one year they'd bring in Damon Lankow, another year they'd bring in Alex Tangay, another year they'd bring in Mike Camilleri, sorry, I just got to pause. My, sorry, my, my phone is, my, my dad did a, uh, did a, uh, a phone location thing. Sorry
0: about that. <laughs> no uh, worries, man.
3: Yeah. You he, he always the, drink them's the rules.
0: Yeah.
3: yeah. Pardon me? Yeah. You always drink them's the rules. Oh yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure you can, uh, you can do the, some editing there, but, um.
0: Oh no, we're keeping that in. We're keeping that in for sure.
3: You're keeping that in? Yes. <laughs> I, I gotta remind my dad to 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 uh i i mean i record a podcast here all the time and i told him to be to keep things quiet So no, but like i was saying you know the team when i when i was growing up was really easy to follow because you know they had that they were able to bring in free agents they were able to make trades and keep guys and they had a good um gm and daryl sutter at that time who uh you know until about 2010 when he sort of really started to fall off the map a little bit but uh yeah, so I grew up, my favorite player growing up was Mike Camilleri. My name's Mike, so, you know, sort of all figured all together. And uh, it, was, it was, I mean, it's a hockey town. Everybody here likes the Flames. Uh, if they don't like the Flames, they're going to meet somebody who likes the Flames, and then they're going to like the Flames. Unless they like the others, and that's a little bit different, but, you know, everybody has their own little quirks, right?
0: Fair enough. So... Like we said off the top, Mike, you are the co-host of the Flames Podcast, The Blasticast, and a staff writer for Flames Nation. So talk to us a little bit about how you came became a staff writer for Flames Nation and how exactly did the Blastycast start up?
3: Okay, so I had gone to school in Ottawa for a couple of years. I went to Carleton for journalism, and around around this time last year, around Halloween, I came home. I didn't wanna you know, I, I I sort of timed it right actually, because uh, a few months later everybody wanted to lockdown, so I would have come home anyway. But uh, uh, I managed to uh, come home. I was just I, I I was sort of sick. I wasn't doing so well, um, and uh, it just mentally and physically and everything in school. I mean, I was doing okay with my grades, but I just I wasn't really ready to stay down there much longer. So I came home. Uh, Took a few months off. Just went to a lot of games. Just hung out around here. Played hockey for a bit. Really made actually the most of those months before the pandemic hit. Um, I'm really grateful for that. And then, excuse me. um, Around around March, uh, when everything uh, went to hell, I started up my own podcast, uh, which I I no longer do. Uh, It was called Mike Gould Talks. I just wanted to have some fun. Uh, put something out that my teammates could listen to, actually, my, my hockey teammates, uh, while we were sort of uh, separate. And I got some guests on that show. I was talking to uh, uh, Peter Labardius, who is used to be the play-by-play guy here on TV here in Calgary. talked to Eric Francis, Ryan Leslie, a whole bunch of guys in the media down here. Uh, down Goes Brown actually came on the show.
2: Nice. It was
3: a good show, and it was something that I really enjoyed doing. And one of the guys I talked to on that show is a guy named Ryan Pike, Uh, Ryan Pike is the managing editor at Flames Nation, and uh, after I did that show, he sort of gave me, well, he asked me if there was anybody who I knew who would be looking to write, and I sort of gave him some names, and I said, you know, I'm looking potentially for something to do uh, just while this pandemic's going on, because I hadn't, I I got a job uh, at a store shortly after, but I wasn't at that time doing anything, so... Uh, I started writing there. Uh, you know, it's pretty simple, really. I mean, I just, I, I've written a lot before. I used to write for a campus newspaper down in Ottawa, and uh, it just felt like a natural fit. It's a website that I've been reading for quite a while. And then with the Blasty Cast, um, that was something that came up. Uh, I have a buddy named Noah Adler who had created a podcast. Noah is a huge fan of the Blasty logo in the jersey, um, and this was... You know, he's been a fan of it for years, proponents of it coming back. And uh, he had sort of thrown around the idea of creating a podcast. And he had started one and uh, I sort of messaged him and I was like, okay, I'm willing to jump on here uh, if you want a second guy. Um, and so yeah, I, I was happy to help because uh, it was really his idea. Uh, but he i don't think he had a ton of experiences with the audio component of it whereas i've sort of been to school for that sort of thing and uh i've done podcasts on my own before and so it was just something that i was able to help out in that regard we've gotten some really good guests uh, i'm really excited about how that's going we're talking to craig conroy tomorrow um we've already had rico Fada on the show and then we're going to be talking to uh Kelly Rudy and uh, Perry Barazan coming up here. So I'm really happy with how that's going. And hopefully we'll get some more guests in the future.
0: Man, I'm not going to lie. That's a pretty solid list of guests you got there. And I know yeah. that uh, when you put up on Twitter about looking for certain X flames to have on. And I suggested Jamie McLennan because we've had him on the podcast. Yeah. He's a great podcast guest. He's open to doing these shows. So I feel he's definitely one that you should definitely look into getting to for Blasticast
3: absolutely ask him what he thinks of Johan Franzen
0: oh I have to say I would say just read his book because he's very open and honest about that in there
3: yeah I haven't read his book yet uh that that was that's that's one of my earliest flames memories was when that happened just uh very shocking and surprising but uh yeah wow he's he's a he's a very funny guy and I uh I really appreciate the uh the analysis that he provides on TSN he's one of my favorite guys on there
0: Yeah, he's definitely been a great guy, especially for doing the coverage for the Ottawa Senators.
3: Yeah, 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 for sure. And his stories are fantastic as well. (laughs) Yeah, full of personality. Love him.
0: So, Mike, let's talk about the Calgary Flames. So, the Flames last season, it was definitely a tougher year for them than usual, given that the team did struggle a bit at the beginning of the year. Calgary's top guys dipped in production, most notably being Sean Monaghan. Of course, we can't forget about the whole Bill Peters saga that happened last november and then when the COVID 19 wiped out the entire season they got into the playoffs and unfortunately the dallas stars ended up sadly wiping the floor with them in that sixth game to take the series uh-huh. and heading into this offseason like there was a lot of serious questions calgary was facing most most notably the possible trades either involving sean monaghan or johnny Gaudreau, or even both and I do have to say that Calgary did make some great acquisitions in the off season with free agency signing Jacob Markstrom and Chris Tanna from Vancouver to replace Cam Talbot TJ Brody. So overall, how did you feel about the Flames in 1920 and how have you felt regarding Calgary's offseason so far?
3: Okay, I'll start with how I feel about their last season because, you know, it, it was a weird year. Uh, they were coming off a year where they had some inconsistent goaltending uh, with Mike Smith and David Riddick sort of David Riddick was really hot to start the year Mike Smith was really bad to start the year and then that sort of flip-flopped as the year went on um, This year the issue for them wasn't goaltending really. I mean Riddick kind of faltered again near the end of the year Excuse me uh, whereas Cam Talbot was really solid all year long and My expectation for them going into the offseason was that they were gonna resign Cam Talbot. Um, I was Kind of surprised when the Markstrom stuff came out. I thought he would have been a good target for them, but I was still kind of surprised that they went that route. So in 1920, yeah, a lot's been made about their top six, uh, how it didn't really perform all that well. Goudreau got a little bit better under Jeff Ward uh, after the Bill Peters saga unfolded. To me, I think Gaudreau is maybe, uh, I don't know, I think maybe they're trying to reel him in in some respects, sort of like Adam Oates did with Ovechkin and Washington. Like He doesn't seem all that confident all the time out there, and it seems like he's constantly trying to do too much in some respects to maybe offset for some of the coaching that he's been getting. I don't really know what's going on with Johnny other than he doesn't exactly look like the same player that we've seen before, and it's hard to assess. Like it really is. He just. It seems like he sometimes gets stuck doing the same things out there, and he maybe needs to switch up his approach a little bit. The case with trading Johnny, I think it does make a little bit of sense. Uh, he has two years left on his deal, uh, making six six and two thir- or six and three quarters. Uh, it's. It, it might make a bit of sense. Uh, he has a no trade clause, um, a ten team I think no trade clause off the top of my head that kicks in next summer. So. They probably want to trade him before that uh, if they're going to trade him to try and maximize any value uh, before he can sort of step in and pick where he wants to go. I think it might not be the worst idea, especially if Taylor Hall is again a free agent again next summer uh, because Taylor Hall is from Calgary. He grew up a Flames fan, and he might be the kind of guy who they might look at as being able to replenish some of the offense that Goudreau maybe leaves behind if he leaves. Uh, And then they can add some prospects to complement Taylor Hall If he comes in now that's kind of presumptuous regarding trading sean monahan i don't think that's going to happen um i think monahan is a guy who's going to stick around i don't see any case for trading him you can trade goudreau and you have kachuk behind him and you have lindholm behind kachuk uh, on the wings but at center i mean there's really no backup plan if you trade sean monahan i mean michael Backlund's a really good player he's not going to be number one center at this point in his career he's 31 32 i think He's not the kind of guy who you want to have flanking your top unit or pivoting your top unit. So I just don't see any really, any real rationale for trading Monaghan unless, you know, Connor's Zeri in a couple of years comes out of nowhere, really, and turns into a better version of Sean Monaghan, uh, which I think is a little bit maybe, again, presumptuous. Uh, Lindholm and Kachuk, however, they both had really good years, uh, so I don't really see any worries there. Backland had a really tough start to the year. Uh, they did some wacky coaching stuff with him. They put him on uh, Matthew Kachuk's wing. Or no, no, they put him on, on Johnny Gaudreau's wing. They had uh, Gaudreau, Monaghan, and Backland as the top line there for a little while, and it was terrible. It didn't work at all. And then they put Backland back uh, on the 3M line with Kachuk and Maggiapani, and he was nearly a point per game down the stretch in his last 40 games. So that's you know, that's all the optimism in the world there. And then Andrew Madgipani, the last guy in the top six, was great. He burst out and became a tremendous two-way winger, uh, some of the strongest defensive impacts in the league. And I see that I think they're gonna hope that Dylan Dubé can do a lot of those same things that Madhypani did this year next year. In terms of the other offseason acquisitions, uh, I don't love Chris Tanov. I think he's all right. I mean I I would have obviously preferred they kept TJ Brody because he's really the guy who makes Giordano click in a lot of ways. I mean, Giordano has never had the same success away from Brody uh, that he has with him over a consistent period of time. The, the Hamilton pairing when Giordano was with Hamilton was always really inconsistent. And I mean, I guess they're maybe hoping Rasmus Anderson and Chris Tano can collectively make up the the loss that TJ Brody uh the loss of TJ Brody to Toronto, but I I would be surprised. Uh, but in Tana, I mean, they're getting a guy who has an excellent reputation as a defensive defenseman. Um, I'm not convinced that he's still the same guy that he was maybe four years ago, but it's they gave him the Troy Brower contract for pi, four years times four and a half million, which uh, doesn't give me all the best vibes, but, you know, it, it's fine. And I don't think it's going to sink the team like Brower or James Neal did.
0: So when free agency opened up, of course, one of the biggest names on the market was former Canucks starting goaltender, Jacob Markstrom. While the signing of Markstrom was a huge signing for Calgary, I do believe that it does create a really strong tandem in Calgary between him and David Riddick. Now, heading into this upcoming season, how do you see Calgary utilizing both goalies? Do you see Markstrom being the starter with Riddick being the backup, or do you see him kind of switching off every three or four games?
3: They're not going to bring in Jacob Markstrom and pay him $36 million to be a backup. Um, so, And they're not going to pay him that to be a tandem either. I don't think David Riddick is in this organization's long-term plans, and I don't think David Riddick views this organization as his long-term home. Uh, he's a pending UFA after this season. He has one year left at $2.75 million, and he has been a okay goalie for the Flames over the last few years he can alternate between being extremely good over long stretches and uh, not good at all for a little while there uh, for like a couple weeks at a time. Uh, he's sort of, you know, you know and I'm not going to say that he's terrible over those stretches. He's just, he's just, he lets in some bad goals um, and his save percentage, you know, it's, it, it's never really been in that upper echelon, but he's, he's still reasonably young. You know, he's, he's 28, I think. Uh, where And you know, He's sort of on a similar type of trajectory maybe to Jacob Markstrom, but I don't think there's the the hype or the potential that Markstrom had there with David Riddick. I think Riddick is going to sign somewhere as a free agent next summer, probably sort of similar to what Anders Nielsen did with Ottawa after he was traded there. I don't see him necessarily being a potential starter for a team down the road, and I think with Calgary this year, I mean, I don't even, I'm not even convinced that he makes the opening day roster in terms of, I could see him being traded before the start of the season to a team that's looking for goaltending help. Now, the problem there is that Calgary doesn't exactly have a guy to replace Riddick in the system right now. Uh, they signed Louis DeMang, uh, but they don't want him to be their backup. And Triliving, Brad Trilliving, has repeatedly said that he really values having three NHL-caliber goalies in his system at any given time. So... I think I think Riddick could be traded, but I think there might have to be a supplementary move that comes in to maybe bring them in another backup goalie. In any case, I see Jacob Markstrom getting the lion's share of the starts. So, if I mean, it's not going to be an 82 game season, but if it were, I'd estimate he'd get like 60 games, and Riddick maybe gets 20, you know, maybe a little bit less, you know, maybe the split's maybe 55 25, but I. Uh, they're looking at Markstrom as being the guy. Like, uh, the Flames have gone by for so long now with tandems, you know, Brian Elliott, Chad Johnson, uh, Jonas Hiller, Kari Ramo, Mike Smith, David Riddick, and it's just—I don't think they like that. I think—I mean, they do—they like that—but Jacob Markstrom, they brought this guy in to be their number one starter guy, and I can't see them using him in anything in any of a role that's less than that.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you on that, Mike. And I know that, honestly, like, I don't think the Calgary Flames have had this great of a goaltender since Mika Kippersoft left in, you might remember, two, 2010, 2011? 2013. Right? 2013, okay. So But yeah, it's kind of like the Canucks in the late 90s or 2000s when they went through this whole stretch of being the goalie graveyard where they went through Corey Hirsch and Arthur Survey, Sean Burke, all these guys. Calgary seems like to be the same way, and I think that Markstrom hopefully puts an end to the flames being a goalie graveyard in the Western conference.
3: Yeah. I mean, we've had some Calgary's had some decent goalies playing here. I mean, Brian Elliott should have been better than he was. They paid a second round pick to get him. He put together a 10 game winning streak near the end of that year, but, um, he was, he fell apart totally in those playoffs. He was, uh, I was at a, a game three of those playoffs when they, uh, when they collapsed after going up four one, that was really tough to watch. Um, You know, Jonas Hiller had a really, really bad year in 2015-16 that I think sort of overshadows how good he was the previous year. Kari Ramo was underrated, um, and I think if he hadn't got hurt down the stretch in that 2016 year, he might still even be in the league. Just, you know, I think he sort of ran out of of steam after that, and I think the Leafs brought him in on sort of a tryout basis the year after, but he just wasn't the same after that injury. Yeah, the Flames have had some really bad luck. Uh, with goalies with goalie development they drafted Leland Irving really high they drafted Brent Cron really high they liked John Gillies a lot but he didn't work out for them they brought in Red Obera. they brought in god I can't even remember they brought in Henrik Carlson, uh, who everybody called the Calgary Tower and then he uh, didn't last very long yeah it was definitely tumultuous you know there was a year where Joey McDonald was brought in and everybody was like, ooh, this guy's the best guy that they've had backing up Kiprasov in a long time. Like, it, was, it wasn't it was even just, you know, it's not even since Kiprasov that their goaltending has been bad. They didn't have good go- backups for Kiprasov. There was a reason why every year Kiprasov played 75 games. It's because they didn't have anybody reliable behind him. They brought in, like, a really old Curtis Joseph at the end of his career in 2008, and he's by far the best backup that Kippersoff ever had, maybe, like, except Roman Turek. Uh, and even then Turek was sort of inconsistent. But that's how bad it's been in Calgary. Outside of Mika and Mike Vernon and, like, the first year of Freddie Brathwaite, it's been tough. Uh, Reggie Lemelin, I guess, back in the 80s. Yeah, really tough here for a very long time. We were blessed to have Kippersoff though, for as long as, as we did here in Calgary to watch him, though. He was very, very fun to watch. Do you I- think then there's
1: a systematic issue or systemic issue, be it at the coaching part, at the pro scouting level, what have you, in Calgary's front out pissing coaching teams around goaltending then. Because for this problem to persist for so long, it can't just be bad luck.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it is. The goaltending coach they have right now is a guy named Jordan Sigalette, and a lot of fans want him fired. I'm not convinced that he's the issue. I think it's been going on way longer than him. Uh, they've made some really questionable choices at the draft, over the, especially over the years when it comes to drafting goalies. Uh, the big one everybody talks about is in 1990 when they traded up to pick uh, Trevor Kidd, um, and they picked him over Marty Britter. That was bad. But, yeah, I really don't know what it is. They've had good goalies in the system. They have been able to identify good goalies at times. They had J.S. Jaguar. They traded for him from Hartford. um, And then they moved him for a second-round pick. You know, it's it's just unforced errors like that. Uh, At one point, I mean, they drafted Craig Anderson. uh, So they saw something there. They couldn't sign him. You know, there have been guys in the system over the years who have blossomed into guys down the road uh part of that might have been the late 90s flames had just had issues keeping guys um the late 90s flames i mean that's when both anderson and and jaguar were part of the team uh they just didn't have the greatest hockey ops department at that time um and i think what we've seen from the flames lately is a little bit of increased competence in terms of identifying goalies i mean they plucked david riddick out of absolutely no nowhere like (laughs) Riddick w- wasn't really on anybody's radar uh, before they sort of picked him out of, uh, out of the Czech League. Um, and they brought him in, and he's turned into a decent goalie. Uh, they've got Dustin Wolf, uh, who they really like, and a lot of people really like. He's putting up some crazy numbers in Everett in the WHL. Uh, they got him, I think, with the fourth-last pick of the draft uh, last year, which is impressive. Uh, I don't know why so many teams passed on. So Dustin Wolf's the guy who they like. They got they picked a guy this year um, named uh, Daniil Chechelov, who sort of raised some eyebrows over in Russia when he I think won his first ten games of this year. Um, so and and Chechelov was another guy who did, wasn't even ranked by Central Scouting. So they're showing a bit more uh, creativity, I think, in their in their department. I mean, they really they have a strong European scouting presence. Uh, they've done well bringing in guys out of Europe in recent years. Um, And I I expect that trend to continue as long as the current management group is in office. But, yeah, it's been a rough time. The Calgary Flames have been a rough team to follow, if you like, good goaltending, outside of a couple stretches over the last 40 years, for sure.
1: Actually, you kind of alluded to the management team sticking around do you think they're on thin ice, or do you think they have reasonable support of the community and
3: uh, the guys upstairs? I think Tree Bradshaw Living has pretty broad support. I mean, there are guys who don't like them. Uh, Tree has has made some errors in free agency, undeniably. Um, the Troy Brower signing back in 2016 did not look good from day one. Uh, when they signed him, four years, four and a half million per, uh, he was bought out of that deal by year two. Uh, Mason Raymond was another one that was not very good. Uh, they signed him for three years at just over $3 million per back in 2014. He only lasted the first year of that deal, then he was sent down to the AHL the next year, and then they bought him out after that year. James Neal is the worst one, and he's probably the worst signing the Flames have ever made in 40 years. Uh, they signed him for five years at $5.75 million per, uh, just a disastrous contract. Uh, he was atrocious last year uh in 2018-19 um I mean it's it's really hard to explain I remember going to a game and describing the way he shot the puck as it looks like he's trying to learn how to shoot the puck the wrong way like I'm I shoot right and it looks like it looked like he was shooting the puck like I do when I try and shoot left Uh, I don't know what was going on with James Neal in Calgary um it never worked and that was a big blunder for Trilovving. And that signing was part of the reason I was a little bit surprised he was able and allowed to sign Jacob Markstrom for thirty six million this year because sort of every other big signing that he's ever made in free agency, aside from Michael Frolik, who, who was a very good flame, um, has not really worked out so well., uh, that's not to say that Tree has a, a terrible track record in free agency, like well, a, a uniformly tra- a terrible track record. I brought up Frolik, who was a really good flame for a long time. Uh, Derek Ryan has been a really good flame. Uh, Christopher Versteeg was a really good flame. Uh, he signed Chad Johnson to a one-year deal. That was a good deal. Uh, he's best when he goes, mo- like most GMs. He's best when he goes for the bargain deals. And I mean, yeah, that's not that's not confusing. I mean, it's really hard to lose lose a signing when it's cheap. But he's 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 made some decent moves in the past. His trading has been pretty good. Uh, Both Dougie Hamilton trades I thought were pretty good. Uh, I mean, getting Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin locked up long-term after that trade. He's really good with his RFAs, uh, and he's really good with the drafting. Uh, The Flames drafting is better now than it ever has been, and their RFA re-signing has been just fantastic. I mean, they have Elias Lindholm signed for the next four years at $4.85 million, which is ridiculous. I mean, Johnny Gaudreau, having him signed for the last four years at $6.75 million, again, that's ridiculous. So I would, generally speaking, give Living and the Flames management group, I would say a B, just in terms of what they're able to accomplish, and I think that's a lot better than a lot of his predecessors, for sure.
0: So Mike, as said earlier, Calgary's top guys had down seasons last year in point production, with Sean Monahan having his worst point total last season since his rookie year with 22 goals, 26 assists for 48 points. Following Calgary's playoff tweet to Dallas, a series which he was limited to two assists, Monaghan's name got thrown around, along with Goudreau, like I said, in trade rumors. Now, since those rumors have died down a bit with no trade happening, as somebody who covers the team, can you talk, I guess you've already talked a little bit about Monaghan last season, but what does he need to do to have a bounce back season in 2021?
3: With Monaghan, a lot of the flack that he gets is that he doesn't drive play. Um, I'm not sure I agree with that, but a lot of people just, you know, see Sean Monaghan as sort of a garbage man. Like he goes to the front of the net, he bangs and pucks. Uh, he is an okay passer. He has a really good shot. He's not a great skater. And, you know, I think those are all sort of valid critiques. He does, you know, he, he, he's not the greatest skater. He's not super fast. Um, he, a lot of what he does, uh, is based on what Johnny Gaudreau does with him. Although, it is important to note that as a rookie, without Johnny Gaudreau, he still scored 22 goals. So, I think there obviously is talent there that isn't just based on his play with Gaudreau. You know, he does do a lot of the same things over and over. And I find that he can look, you know, kind of sluggish at times. And it allows him to get caught by defenders a little bit. Um, He's a little bit soft. Uh, He has a big body. I mean, he's, he's not as soft as some of the other guys on the team, and he can, he can throw him. I mean, he, he fought Ryan Nugent Hopkins last year, which was kind of funny. He just has to get... I think he has to be more consistently engaged. He sometimes seems to me like he's skating a little aimlessly. Like, he's just... I don't, I don't know what it is. And he used to be the guy who was, you know, a star in the playoffs. In that 2017 series against the Anaheim Ducks, where the Flames got swept monaghan scored in every game of that series you know he was really really good in those playoffs and you know the ducks he he was one guy who the ducks didn't seem to have an answer for um so he has that ability it's really just about getting him going on a consistent basis and i don't know what he needs to add to his game he's not great defensively at all like a lot of people i see sometimes i see people calling him a really good two-way center he's not uh michael backland is a Good two-way center. Derek Ryan is a good two-way center. Elias Lindholm is an okay two-way center. That's not Sean Monahan's game right now. Uh, Do I think that could be a part of his game down the road? Yes. And I think he has the tools to become really solid in his own end. Uh, And maybe that's just where he has to become more engaged. And maybe 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 if that becomes more of a part of his game, we see an improvement in his play all over the ice. But right now, it's just not what he does. And maybe that's another thing that is influenced by him playing with Cadrill. I don't know. Um, ultimately, though, I'll say it again. I don't think the Flames should be looking at trading him, because uh, I don't see them having anybody really to replace him at this point in time. It would it would sink them, I think. It would not be a good move uh, for what they're trying to achieve right now. And what, that, what they're trying to achieve right now is winning. I mean, you don't go out and sign two guys in the summer to $50 million contracts collectively, if you're not looking at winning. So they need to keep Sean hand for
0: now. So Tim, do you have any questions for Mike that we haven't covered yet on this segment?
1: Nope. It's been very enlightening to kind of see uh,
3: how the team in my city is viewed by
1: people who watch it more.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, if I have one more thing to say, uh, just very briefly, uh, if you have any listeners down in Ottawa who are on the Milan Lucic uh, hate train, I will say this, Milan Lucic for James Neal was an extremely good trade for the Calgary Flames, and I will not back down on that. Did not the Flames get the second-round pick out of that, so they automatically won the trade? Well, they got a third-round pick out of it, and it was the most right. contentious third-round pick in history. Uh, Oilers fans really wanted to keep that third-round pick. Flames ended up having to go to like arbitration to get it, which was hilarious. Uh, but yeah, they got that pick, and they got the better player, and I have no hesitation in saying that. So there you go.
0: Mike, we can't thank you enough for taking some time out of your schedule today to join us for this segment. So two things before we let you go, first of all, where can people find you on social media and where can they find flames nation and the blasted cast?
3: Okay. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Mike T Gould at M I K E T G O U L D flames nation. You can go to FlamesNation.ca. Uh, if you go under the authors tab, I'm there. Ryan Pike is there. Uh, pat steinberg on the fan 960 there are a few other people are there and they're also on twitter i believe it at, at flames nation uh the Blastycast, uh it can be found on itunes spotify uh, google play soundcloud uh we promote and post all those links on our twitter page which is at the blasty uh, and you can also find my co-host noah uh, he's also uh his twitter at is also on that page so yeah go find us there
0: and final question before we let you go. Given that every NHL team put out their re- reverse retro jerseys, in one word, can you sum up your thoughts on the blasty look coming back? One word, huh?
3: Um, invigorating.
0: I was going to use sharp, but no, that's a good word to use.
3: Yeah, there you
0: go. Awesome. Thanks so much for
3: doing this, Mike. You're welcome. Cheers. Have a good one.
0: Representing the Edmonton Oilers of the Pacific Division is a staff writer for SB Nation's Oilers blog, Copper and Blue. Please welcome the show from Edmonton, Alberta, Preston Hutchinson. Preston, how's it going? Welcome to the podcast.
4: Hey, not too bad. Glad to be here.
0: So Preston, we're really excited to have you on here, not only because this is your very first time here on the Third Line Plucks Sensecast, and because we get to chat some Edmonton Oilers hockey with you. Now, before we get going, we've got to get to we got to do a little bit of getting to know you, because, like I said, this is your first time on the podcast. So, one thing I really love about doing this podcast is I love learning about how people became fans of the team that they cheer for. So, for yourself, how did you become a fan of the Edmonton Oilers?
4: Yeah, so I'm I'm from a small northern Alberta town called Peace River. It's about a town of like 5,000. Um, and my family's not really a sports family. The way I got into hockey was we actually held a little uh, family get-together for Game 7 of the 2006 Stanley Cup Final. And at that point, I had no idea what hockey was, but when I saw all the Oilers on TV, I was just hooked. Like It was like love at first sight. So um, even though they lost the game, they were like the, the team I just... Came to love. I don't. I don't know really how to explain it. Edmonton is the closest city to Peace River, So maybe location wise had an impact. But yeah, ever since I seen Game Seven of the 2006 Stanley Cup Final, I was I was absolutely hooked.
0: Well, I know for myself, like I'm not an Oilers fan by any means, but I know like I followed the Oilers in that 2006 run, and that's still a run that I don't think it's so hard to try to explain to somebody who wasn't there because it's one of those runs where. The Oilers were not even expected to make the playoffs, and then next thing you know, they upset Detroit, they upset Anaheim, and they come within one win of their sixth Stanley Cup.
4: Yeah, no, it was insane. Um, like I said, I was introduced to the team in Game 7, so I didn't really get to watch the run as it happened. But looking back on it, yeah, it was, it was like the, one of the first Cinderella stories in the modern era. You had uh, guys like uh, Alex Hemsky, Sean Horkoff, Ryan Smith, some of those like kind of blue-collar... Uh, guys that really embodied the city of Edmonton and I know a lot of people around the city still think Edmonton would have won that cup if Dwayne Rollison wasn't hurt in that series so it's a little bittersweet.
0: So Preston as we said off the top you are a staff writer for SB Nation's Oilers blog Copper and Blue so talk to us a little bit about how you got into writing for Copper and Blue.
4: Yeah, so um, I've been writing about the Oilers for quite a while. I'm 21 right now. I started writing about the Oilers when I was like 14, 15 in like middle school and high school. I actually wrote for the Oilers rig um, with, I believe, Alex Thomas uh, brought me along when I was just a teenager. And I really cut my teeth on uh, sports blogging um, on that website. And then with school and university, I kind of had to uh, put that on the back burner. And then about, I want to say a year or two ago, I put out on t- uh, Twitter that I was interested in uh, writing for another website, and one of my followers uh, introduced me to Matt, the editor at uh, Copper & Blue, and um, I wrote a few articles, and they brought me on full-time. So um, it's been a wonderful experience. I've loved my time at uh, Copper & Blue. The writers are fantastic. They support us, and they really give us a creative freedom to do whatever we want. So I've been really enjoying my time there.
0: So Preston, let's start talking about the Oilers. So the 2019-20 season was one that had its real high points, like an absolute monster year from Hart Trophy winner Leon Draisaitl, only to be matched with extremely low ones, like the tra- tragic passing of Colby Cave in April. Due to COVID-19, Edmonton was forced to play in the play-in round versus Chicago, where they were upset in four games, despite the outstanding play of Connor McDavid. Ken Holland despite the limited cap space, made some pretty solid moves during the offseason, going out and signing Tyson Berry to give Darnell Nurse a really good defense partner. He shored up his bottom six with signings like Kyle Turris and Dominic Cahun. So overall, what have been your thoughts on the Oilers' season last year? And what were your thoughts on the moves Ken Holland made in the offseason?
4: I, I thought last season was a pretty successful one for the Oilers. They obviously surpassed uh, quite a bit of expectations. Not a lot of people had them in con- Tension for the Pacific, uh, Pacific Division title, so that was obviously positive. we also seen guys like uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, the aforementioned Dreisaitl, kind of come up and supplement uh, McDavid, not even to mention Kyler Yamamoto, who came up, uh, I believe, in late December, early January, and put up a point per game on the second line, creating two really solid scoring lines. Um, so the offense was a bit more than expected. McDavid got a little bit more help, which was enormously helpful. Um, and then on the back end, you had guys like uh, Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones come up and make some real impactful, uh, real impactful impact, I guess. And it really helped stabilize the team as a defensive team. And you had uh, Mikko Koskinen and Mike Smith, who a lot of people had a lot of reservations with when the Withers first brought him aboard. But he had a fairly decent year. I wouldn't say he was fantastic, but he was all right during regular season. So, yeah. Um, obviously, the playoff. Uh, the play-in round was disappointing on many levels, um, Mike Smith being a part of that as well. So yeah, I would say last season uh, was pretty successful, but the play-in, play-in round was uh, very underwhelming.
0: Well, and that was the one thing I noticed watching the play-in round was, as I said, like Connor McDavid was just outstanding in that play-in round. But and I know when we did our play-in round predictions, I predicted the Edmonton Oilers would go on only to see Chicago upset them. So, and I have to say, like, where does the Oilers need to go now to maybe take that next step into the playoffs?
4: Yeah, well, they obviously need to find more stability in the crease. Um, I think that was the need they needed the most going into the uh, offseason, and that obviously wasn't filled with bringing back Mike Smith. And then with Oscar Clefbaum he's expected to, be, to miss the uh, upcoming season, due to arthritis in the shoulder. So um, adding a guy like Tyson Berry gives a little bit more depth there, but that's a that's a guy they're going to miss next year for sure. And then adding a guy like Dominic Cahoon and Kyle Turris, it kind of shows up their, uh, their offensive depth. So I think they just need to find that, uh, that bona fide number one goaltender and uh, hope that some prospects on the blue line can come up.
0: So one of the big storylines for Edmonton heading into this new season, besides Connor McDavid returning from CoVID-19, will be the return of fourth overall draft pick, Jesse Poarvi. Pool is a guy whom being an outsider who doesn't follow the Oilers very closely, I've always thought Edmonton has grossly mishandled him in his development when he was rushed to the NHL as a rookie. Where he struggled big time after sitting out all of last season to play in Finland as he awaited a trade, Ken Holland signed him to a two-year, 2.35 million dollar contract, which will see him return to the Oilers for 2021. Overall, what are the expectations should fans have for Pouliourv this upcoming season?
4: Yeah, um, the Edmonton Oilers definitely mishandled Pouliourv, like you said, grossly. They brought in a scoring forward, a top, uh, a top pick right away and they expected him to produce with fourth and third liners and when it didn't go well it was all on him so um i didn't like how they managed him i thought he should have gotten at least a little bit of an extended look with Connor mcdavid or leon Draisaitl. i think he can be a really good complementary player for one of those guys so this coming season i expect uh I, if i were to put expectations on him i wouldn't expect uh him to be like a top six bona fide scorer to start Uh, I think he will get a chance in that role as the season progresses but I think he will get a chance on the third line with someone like Kyle Turris and Tyler Ennis to start off and then if he produces there just a little bit I think he will get extended look on those top two lines
0: well I know for Poole Yarvey and I know that the Edmonton Oilers have had these first overall draft picks year after year after year and they've all came to the NHL they were all made an immediate impact And I often wonder if Edmonton had a mindset that Poole Yarby was going to do the exact same thing as those guys did.
4: Yeah, well, I I don't really like that thinking because you look back and you look at guys like Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, Taylor Hall, like they were good players, but you got to look back and wonder what if they didn't have all those expectations on them right out of the gate. So it's a strategy that's hit or miss. Like look at Yakupov, look at Sarah Gagne, some more first-round picks that were rushed to the NHL. It's just not a good strategy i don't think and to expect every top pick to produce at the level of like a Connor mcdavid or austin matthews type of pace is just a recipe for disaster you're putting all these expectations on a young kid and especially a young kid like Cooley Arby who came overseas and could barely speak any english so it was just i don't know what they were thinking it was bound to fail at some point unless he absolutely surpassed all expectations
0: among the Oilers' moves this off season, the one that really came as a surprise to me had to be the re-signing of goalie Mike Smith. With a number of goalies either hitting free agency or were rumored to be on the trade trading block, like a Matt Murray, who ended up going to Ottawa, or Darcy Kemper, Edmonton looked like they were in a position to improve in goal. However, they decided to stick with Smith for another season at $2 million. What was your reaction to Edmonton re-signing Mike Smith, and would you have preferred Ken Holland to try and land somebody else? If they didn't bring him back,
4: yeah, no, I was definitely disappointed. I didn't think it was the right move. You look at Smith and how he played in the play in round, and it was absolutely atrocious. Um, I still think he was the main reason they lost that uh, first game. It was just an absolute awful display by Mike Smith in the play in, and one that I thought would make it hard for the Oilers to re sign him, especially, like, like you said, with the amount of goalies on the market. Um, in regards to a guy like Matt Murray, I wasn't too sure that was a guy the weather should target. You know, they do have a kind of a tight cap. Um, and fitting a guy in like Murray, who I believe is at 6.25 with Ottawa, it would just not be realistic. But I, I expected them to keep Miko Koskinen because he did play fairly well during the regular season last year. So I thought Miko Koskinen would be a good 1A goalie. And then a guy like Thomas Grice might have been a good 1B. Um, But that obviously didn't happen. So, yeah, no, Ken Holland definitely missed out on quite a few guys. Um, I know they were close on signing Jacob Markstrom, but then again, you look at the cap hit and you're like, does this really work with how much room he has? Um, So it was a tight position to be sure, but I think he could have done something better than bringing back Mike Smith.
0: Yeah, and I... um, So
4: would you say that a lot of these missed opportunities
1: are a consequence of kind of digging out of Shirelli's hole?
4: Yeah, no, for sure. Peter Shirelli really dug a hole. Like, you look, even the aforementioned Miko Koskinen, he got signed to a four-year deal at 4.5, less than a season in to the NHL. It was absolutely ridiculous. And that deal happened, I believe, a day before Shirelli got fired. It was just ridiculous. And then you have Chris Russell on the books. You have a guy like, uh, I guess Zach Cassian's a recent signing, but signings like that that really hamper your ability to improve in other, play, uh, other areas of the team.
0: Um, and digging out of that Shirelli hole has been quite a quite a process. With a limited cap space, GM Ken Holland had to work with this offseason. As I said earlier, he made two terrific signings in Tyson Berry and Kyle Turris. Berry, who is coming off an offseason with the Leafs, be, would officially become the Oilers' number one right-handed defenseman. Kyle Turris, who got bought up by the Nashville Predators, is now slotted in as their third-line center. So... What were your thoughts overall on the Edmonton Oilers bringing these guys in, and what kind of expectations should fans have on them this coming season?
4: I thought Barry was a very interesting signing, one I didn't see coming at all, but I guess with the news of Clefbaum being out, you need to shore up uh, some something on the back end. For Tyson Barry, I actually have pretty high expectations for him. He is an offensive de- defenseman, and no Oilers had the top-ranked power play last season. Adding him to the mix... Should bode well for that power play unit. I do expect him to have a better year than he did in Toronto last year. Um, Defensively is where the question marks are. The Oilers have had problems in their own end. and That was shown pretty um, blatantly in the play-in round. So I'm kind of nervous about his play in the defensive zone, but he should put up some pretty good offensive numbers with the amount of power play time he will be getting. Kyle Turris, was a, a, I like that move. It's a solid veteran move. He's a guy who was getting paid way too much for the role he was playing in Nashville. So coming in with reduced expectations and um, a, a lower cap hit is going to do wonders for the team, I think. Last year we had a veteran in there in Riley Shahan, and he proved to be a pretty uh, useful player. So I have high hopes for Kyle
0: Turris. Well, a note for us being Ottawa Senators fans, Turris has been a guy that we watch pretty extensively during his tenure and i was very happy to see edmonton land him because like i would see tourists in nashville and it was just not the right fit like you can tell right away the system nashville plays how they play was not right for tourists and i think going to edmonton is going to be a really good one especially if he's paired with some really fast pretty speedy wingers and because that was the way he played in ottawa as well
4: yeah, no, for sure. I I, I totally agree. Um, and the wingers, I think that we'll see him with most this season is on the left wing. I think Tyler Ennis will be with him for most of the year. He's a speedy, a guy who's really impressed Oilers fan. He's become almost a fan favorite here in Edmonton already in his short time. And then on the the right wing, I think it's either going to be Jesse Pulley RV to start, um, but in the long term. For most of next season, I think a guy like Josh Archibald could fit in there well, too. He's a really tenacious fast-forward who, who I think blends
0: well. It, it makes for a really good third-line third, third line scoring line. Well, I know that one guy I was actually kind of surprised Edmonton didn't bring back was um, Athanasiou, because I saw him with the Oilers. I know he didn't play very long with you guys, but I thought, you know, if he was on the third pairing with a Kyle Turris, it would have been a really, really smart pickup for the Oilers.
4: Yeah, the, the Athanasio deal I was a fan of at the trade deadline last year. Uh, um, two seconds is pretty rich, but, you know, at the trade deadline, some things are, are. You pay a little more than you want to sometimes. I thought he'd be a good fit alongside Connor McDavid, um, and they just didn't give that time to work. Uh, he spent, God, I think less than a game on Connor McDavid's line, and then he was relegated to the third and fourth line again, where, again, you can't expect a scoring wingers complementary forwards to develop or to produce on offense with fourth and third line guys so I think they mismanaged him uh, in his short time here and then when they bowed out of the playoffs early they just couldn't afford that qualifying offer so I think if if I was coach I would have definitely given him a little bit more time to prove himself than what they did
0: well do you see Athens CU, being another guy in the long list of Oilers who have proven that the Edmonton Oilers just aren't that good at times when it comes to their asset management.
4: Oh yeah for sure it's, a, it's been a running theme no matter who runs the team it seems. Um, I'll go all the way back to Neil Yakupov he was fantastic in his rookie season under Ralph Kruger he's put up the most uh, amount of goals of rookies that year and then they brought in Dallas Eakins, and pretty soon he was on the third and fourth line again and of course he didn't produce and that screwed up his confidence and now he's in the KHL where he's struggling there as well I think it could have been a very different trajectory for a guy like him if um, he was used correctly and that goes for Puliarvi and Athanasiu here in Edmonton as well.
0: I was going to ask about Yakupov have you read any of the Twitter comments about when he got released from the, the most recent team he played for?
4: Yeah, I read a few. It's uh For me, it's just disappointing because I really like Yakupov. I thought he was a really skilled player, and he was just screwed up by the way he was handled in his first few uh, professional seasons. Like I said, I think Ralph Krueger handled him fantastically in his first season, and then Dallas-Hakins came in and screwed up the team, but also screwed up uh, Neil Yakupov as well. So it's really sad to see because I think he is a player that at one point had a lot of upside.
0: Well, and I know uh, a friend of the show he saw him play when he was with the Sarnia Sting, and he just he told us point blank, he says, you know what? The one thing about Yakupov is that you can tell he's such a one-dimensional player out there, and so I often wonder when he went to Edmonton and it didn't pan out, how much of that was the Oilers mismanaging him, but also how much is him just being just a one-dimensional player?
4: Yeah, no, that's true. Um, I think there's faults on both sides. Um, with a young player like that, you hope that uh, you can get him in a good environment that can kind of improve on that one-dimensional style of play and maybe branch it out a little more but um he was just punished straight like really strictly from the start and they didn't really give him an opportunity to change that so i i I like to pin most of the blame on the others but yeah there's definitely some blame to be put on yakupov as well one thing i
1: want to kind of bring in here is uh so we had our flames person on earlier and uh they pretty strongly asserted that calgary won the kneel for lucic swap do you have an opinion on that
4: uh yeah i disagree Uh, i think i don't think you'll ever find an oilers fan a flames fan agree on uh, anything like that um milan lucic was just absolutely absolutely terrible for the edmonton oilers it was awful the deal he was on was the worst in the league in my opinion still one of the worst in the league in my opinion um, and get, getting a guy like Neil who came in and scored, I believe nineteen goals. He was very—he would have scored twenty if the season wasn't cut short. It's an obvious win for the Oilers. Um, I know Lucic has fit well in the bottom six there, but the the stats don't—the stats don't lie. I think the Oilers obviously had the advantage there. All right, fair enough.
0: So Preston, we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule today to join us. Now, two things before we let you go. First of all, where can our listeners find you on social media? And where can they find the SB Nation blog, Copper and Blue? Yeah, you
4: can follow me on Twitter at NHL Hodgkinson. Um That's N-H-L-H-O-D-G-K-I-N-S-O-N. And I write for CopperandBlue.com. You can find uh, their Twitter at... Tw- copper and blue that's
0: c-o-p-p-e-r-a-n-d-b-l-u-e excellent and the final question given that the nhl did release their reverse retro jerseys in one word can you sum up your thoughts on the edmonton oilers reverse retro jersey
4: i want to say i like them but underwhelming they could have done a lot more
0: can i can i offer a suggestion here would your opinion have been much more positive if they brought back the Todd McFarlane third logo from the early 2000s? Yes,
4: that's what I was hoping for. I, I know a lot of people hate that logo. I love it. If they um, messed around with the colors, maybe give it modern, the blue and orange treatment, I, I think it would have sold pretty well. It would have looked sharp, I think.
0: I did see a mock-up on Twitter about that, and I just went, okay, that's an honestly, that's a good looking jersey. I know, I know like you said, I know a lot of the fans don't like the logo itself, but... I mean, I grew up as a young kid watching the Oilers when they played the Canucks in the early 2000s with those jerseys, so I, I personally am a little bit nostalgic for them myself.
4: Yeah, especially when you see so many other teams, like the Avalanche go with the Nordique look and uh, Minnesota putting a new twist on the North Stars. I feel like Edmonton could have explored a little bit more of that, uh, uh, kind of that forgotten jersey history. We always see those uh, callbacks to the 80s and uh, the Classic royal blue and orange, and you never uh, get throwbacks to that uh, dark navy,
0: uh, yeah, navy blue and copper. So, I think uh, down the road, that's something they should explore for sure. Preston, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you. Closing out the Western Conference portion of our season preview episode, representing the Winnipeg Jets of the Central Division is the host of the Three Ghosts, No Wait, Four Ghosts podcast. Please welcome back to the show, from Welland, Ontario, Adam Young. Adam, how's it going, Bob? Welcome back to the podcast.
4: That's it! Back to Winnipeg!
0: I had to throw that
5: one in there for you. How's it going, guys? I do appreciate old Simpsons.
0: Yeah, Andy Andy Williams...
5: it, it was such a small little sketch that, like, if you watch some of the well, they're all <laughs> the only good reruns are like the original ten seasons. Uh, sometimes they they take that one out for uh, like Fox if, if for the syndication.
2: That is a good like, point. Actually,
5: or just the no, just just that that clip. Oh, weird. Yeah, it's sad.
0: I know. I wonder why yeah. that is.
5: I don't know. I think it's funny.
0: So, so Adam, Matt, like we're super excited to have you back on the podcast. Not just because you've been a longtime bottomed for the podcast, but also because you are a fan of the Winnipeg Jets. Now, before we get into any jet talk, we got to talk a little bit about the podcast. Three ghosts and wait, four ghosts. Tim and I have been on it, and it's What's been a great. What's going on with it? Yeah, basically that's well, what.
5: That's... <laughs> yeah, that, that's a great question. So. Uh... Obviously, the the easiest answer is uh, uh, extra kid in the house uh, makes it a lot harder. (laughs) So that that would be the easy one. Another one would be, as you guys know, with having a podcast as well, doing the uh, monthly uh, fees that you got to pay to, uh, you know, host the uh, podcast can be a little expensive. And, of course, you know, when you have, you know, now two kids, two dogs, it, it gets a little expensive and. Then, then your time as well, like it, it just became a little bit uh, too much. So where we're at with the podcast, it's still definitely something that we're doing. It's still something that it may be once a month now at this point, maybe even every other month. But uh, the pandemic also has uh, kind of derailed it a bit too in that really like you think about you know, trying to brighten up someone's day, and, and what might brighten someone up, uh, someone else's day might be like, well, you know, I, I don't have a job right now, and it's like, yeah, I, that kind of is a downer, so, uh, yeah, so it, it, the long story short, um, it's still something I, I, I enjoy doing, because it's something that, you know, it, it, it brings something that, it's something that I like to do, and uh, it's also, you know, a way to get creative, and, and kind of, have have a quick laugh, but the long story short, it is going to be coming back, but definitely not as much as it was. And I'm actually going to drop one uh, on you right now. I am in development when, if, uh, no, it'll be when, when when the Canadian Football League season starts again next season, uh, I do intend to launch a new podcast, not necessarily Hamilton Tiger Cat related, but just talking about everything that's going on in the league Uh, getting some players, uh, getting some uh, fellow fans involved, and just kind of having a good time. And um, Because, you know, one of the things that you learn with doing just kind of an open uh, podcast like I've done is that, you know, you want it to be this way, but then it turns into something like this, and then it it, it kind of evolves over time, and and you kind of learn as you go. And one of the things that definitely has taken away from Ultimately, what I wanted with that podcast was the Canadian Football League talk, which definitely seems to have taken over quite a bit of it. But again, it, it's still something I appreciate you guys, uh, you know, reaching out and and uh, being on the podcast in the past. And you know, I, I'll hopefully have you guys on uh, when things get a little more back to normal uh, in the world.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely accept that call, Adam. And for whatever episode we come on, we'll have to think of a either an ex Ottawa senator or an ex athlete in general for a cover athlete and
1: i'll have to one up my stories oh for sure oh you that know still what it's one of the all-time stories for sure
0: <laughs> uh you know what I, th- I think we got one through the podcast you already know this one adam but we're gonna save that for when we're on this three goes next three goes four goes podcast next time
5: sounds good guys <laughs>
0: So Adam, let's talk about the Jets. Now, the 2019-20 season was a tougher season than expected for Winnipeg. The team was inconsistent, especially in the month of January, going 3-8-1, which placed them at 9th in the West prior to their work stoppage, despite a four-game winning streak in March, only to have them lose to Calgary in the play-on round. The Jets' offseason was a pretty quiet one overall, with the return of Paul Stasny being the team's big pickup in free agency. What were your thoughts on the Jets last season? And were you surprised to see Paul Stassi return to the Jets?
5: Oh, I'm so happy to see Paul Stassi return to the Jets. They never should have let him go. But, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a second. But the biggest uh, thing coming into uh, the season was the Dustin Bufflin situation. Uh, this is going to be a precedent setting move for NHL teams going forward because. We had a defenseman, he, he's been, he's well liked in the community, he has roots there now, but again, it was just super bizarre that they went into September, or August, September, and everything seemed to be good to go, he was ready to play, and then all of a sudden, he decided he was going to go in for surgery, and really, we no, nobody really knew a lot of, of why he would do that, but... As as you've heard in the past, he kind of has a uh, a bit of a different way about him. Uh, he's definitely not like a lot of the modern day NHL players, where you know you don't really take any time off. Like you're constantly working out and, and making sure that your your muscle mass is going good and everything is good. He's he's kind of the old school type that you know just kind of shows up to training camp and then gets into shape at that point. So um, again, it was very bizarre. But, unfortunately, when you're in a salary cap way, uh, his salary was one of the higher on the team. And uh, when you're looking at filling out your rosters, another situation we had in the offseason was uh, on defense. We, we had some, some moves as well there. And really, the defense was, was becoming a major question mark. But we said, but it's okay because we got Dustin Bufflin. He'll, he'll come in. So I, I can't stress enough, the, the biggest – a nu- it was a nuisance going into the season last year was, was what's going on with Dustin Bufflin. And then, because they, they couldn't like put him on, on long-term injury, I can't remember what specifically happened with the cap, but we still had his, uh, his salary on there, even though he wasn't playing. So, really, the, the fact that Winnipeg was able to field a half a decent team last season was nothing short of a miracle. And it was hard because we knew going into it, we have in the Central Division – uh, the St. Louis Blues coming off knocking us off in the first round, and again nobody saw really saw that coming after the season they had. Um, so our expectation level in Winnipeg was, boy, what what is going to happen this year? And uh, again, when when you get into situations, you know, with, with a player like that, and then of course, and we're going to talk about Patrick Laine a little bit later, but really then then you start to question. Uh, your, your moves of the coach and um, now that the, the team's been in Winnipeg for nine years they've only ever had two coaches so they, they like to hang on to their coaching staff as much as they can but really now, now you bring into question your, your coaching staff as well so really the only question marks we didn't have was in goal and our, our first line uh, you know it was it's phenomenal you know it, it, it's a really good uh, mix there but uh, again, we, we went, I went into it thinking, OK, well, you know, maybe we're going to squeak into the playoffs. But it, we knew it was going to be a, a, a good draft year. I said, you know what, if we're going to fall down, so be it. You know, We'll get a good draft pick. So then we hit COVID, and then everything was up in the air. So, I mean, that, that's kind of where I went with last season for the Jets, uh, in my personal opinion, anyways.
0: Well, it's funny, even talking about Dustin Bufflin, and you said that, you know, he went through the whole summer, and then right before the season, he went in for surgery. And for those who watched The Last Dance on Netflix, it was very much like what Scottie Pippen did with the Bulls in 97 98. Yeah,
5: exactly. And, and again, with them, too, you know, that's not comparing apples to oranges. But um, the, the thing that really hurt with Dustin Bufflin as well is um, he came over uh, with. The original uh, Atlanta Thrashers players into Winnipeg, and he was more than okay with coming over. Uh, we had Andrew Ladd as captain. Uh, we had Brian Little. There was all sorts of different players, and of course, our our now captain. Uh, they they all came over, and it was really hard because they, it required a, a huge buy-in from a lot of players. And uh, as we saw with uh, Evander Kane, it definitely didn't pan out because. His style was not right for Winnipeg. His his style was, was perfectly fine for Atlanta, but, uh, you know, it, it was really, it, it was a tough one. But we've had nine seasons in Winnipeg since they were relocated from Atlanta, and that was not the toughest season. The toughest season was uh, two seasons pre- previous to that when we did end up winning the, uh, the Line a draft. But, yeah, it was just... It, it, we knew it was going to be rough after, you know, kind of getting handcuffed with Buffalo, unfortunately.
0: So one of the big stories?
5: Buffalo is going to have a massive reputation hit after this. Like, I don't, I think, Bob, I think honest. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I, I honestly, and it, now with the way that the, the cap is not going to be moving for two or three seasons at minimum, I I can't see even at a a minimum, like what, what team's going to want to take him, even if it's a a small risk. Like, I just don't understand why, why he would do that. I mean, I don't know if it was a financial situation or, or what it was, but I don't know, just, it was super odd. And as I said, going forward into the next collective bargaining agreement, Uh, There's probably going to be something put in place because of the situation.
0: So one of the big storylines involving the Winnipeg Jets has been the consistent trade rumors surrounding Patrick Laine. Laine, as an outsider, seems like a guy who Jets fans just seem to have a really odd relationship with. They love him when he's scoring and he's putting up points, but... The second he goes cold, the fans turn on him. Now, following the 2020 playoffs, rumors were red-hot regarding Laine being shipped out of town, with teams like Philadelphia being a serious contender to land him, but have since cooled down. As a Jets fan, like, what is your opinion on Patrick Laine, and how serious do you think Winnipeg actually was about shipping him out of town?
5: Honestly, I, I think that they were close. The reason why I say that is, uh, again... For, for me, the, the precedent with this team, for anybody that doesn't necessarily follow the Jets, uh, was definitely the Evander Kane trade. Part of the reason why is a lot of the fans did not get behind him, and, of course, a lot of the players started to turn their backs on him. Now, he, he's an interesting polarizing character because, of course, he went to uh, Buffalo and, and had some interesting situations there as well. But really, the precedent on how this team deals with players going forward definitely kind of started out with, with how Evander Kane went and the way I see it is, yeah, it's easy to, to not like a player who's, who's as has as much of a skill set as Patrick Laine. It's interesting when he comes out in the media and says, well, I want to be a first line player all the time. Well, it, it doesn't always work that way. And again, that's kind of where Paul Maurice comes in as well. It's like, well, is he really utilizing him properly? Like, what is he telling him in practice? That that, that kind of makes me wonder. So I think over the last little bit, and especially after the, when the NHL came back from the COVID and we went into uh, the playoffs, um, what I'm starting to see is I was definitely more on Paul Maurice's side uh, versus Line A. But now I'm really beginning to kind of suspect that uh, – if, if we, whenever whenever play starts again, we go the first 10, 15 games and we're just, we're under 500. I think it might be time to, to let Paul Maurice go and, and move on. But with Line 8, the rumors that you see flying around about what they could get for him, the only thing that, and again, I really didn't even give it a second chance, is um, they were talking about Line 8 to the Blackhawks for Jonathan Taves. Now, that's an intriguing one because, again, you add the hometown element, of, you know, uh, Taves coming home to Winnipeg. But it, it, the question is, is he really at his best before date? Because this team is, is fairly young, and I don't think that they need someone that much older than Liney to get in there and, and, and take over. But, again, I, I think where I stand now is if there was a trade for Liney right now, uh, I'd, I would be quite upset as a fan. I, I don't think that we're at that point where they, they need to trade him. And I think that they need to stick with him. But again, it, it's not my call. That's just my two cents, I think. I think it's best to wait and see. And, and if they have to, they're going to have to get rid of the coach.
0: Now, one thing I actually wanted to ask you, Adam, about Patrick Line, And I like I said, that the Jets fans need to have a really odd relationship with him. And I often think about the draft that he was taken in 2016, given that Austin Matthews was taken first overall to Toronto. And you see that Matthews has just effortlessly put up a hundred points or whatever he's putting every year and Patrick Laine isn't, do you think maybe that factors in a little bit to the odd relationship he has with the fans? Well, it could be
5: again. I I remember looking at that as well and uh, you know, the Leafs had the first overall pick and then Winnipeg miraculously uh, jumped up five spots in the draft. And I thought, okay, well the Leafs a hundred percent need a center. They don't have anybody Um, at the time. I said, how, how would this not be a good one? So I think that expectation-wise, we knew we were going to get line A in Winnipeg. And of course, and again, maybe this is another reason he's having issues, is now you talk about the Finnish flash, you know, having been in Winnipeg many years before a team of Solani, and you kind of wonder if maybe he's kind of getting compared to someone that he's not. You know he's shown flashes that he can definitely have the same scoring touch uh, as Solani, but you know he's just he's just a different character, that's for sure. Um, I know a lot of people joke about you know his video gaming ways and in Fortnite and whatnot, but I don't know if that's uh, what it is. Um, the hardest part is, yeah, you, you look at what Matthews is doing in Toronto, but you look at the surrounding team that he has here in Winnipeg, Winnipeg up until last season, was a much more rounded team than the Leafs. And that's why in 2017 they were able to get to the Western Conference Finals against an upstart Vegas team. So, again, I I think uh, Jets fans kind of need to take a little bit of a step back with him and just kind of let him do his thing. And we'll see where we go from there. I'm really looking forward to having Stastny back on the team as to what he can do with him. I I think that's going to be huge because Stastny brings – uh, a lot of veteran presence into the locker room that uh, I think that that might bring him around.
0: And I just had one to cr- thing that ahead, I heard
5: you kind of from your response is that uh,
1: you're not, you don't sound exactly sold on Paul Maurice. What exactly
5: is your opinion on the guy? And do you think he makes it out of the season? I absolutely love Paul Maurice. And again, it, it, it definitely goes back to my time as a Leafs fan, but also, seeing when, when he was the coach in uh, Carolina in 2002 and what he did with that uh, Carolina Hurricanes team against the Leafs, you could really tell that his, his coaching was, was quite good. And, and, again, that Leafs team was, was ancient. Um, you know, you, can't, you can run 40-year-old Gary Roberts so far, but, you know, once he went down, that was pretty much it. Maurice, since he's been in Winnipeg, you know, again, he had that one – not so good season, but in 2017, uh, when they made that run, it definitely showed that Paul Maurice is a fantastic coach. But the problem now is, yeah, I'm, I'm really believing 10 to 15 games into this uh, upcoming season, if he's under 500, uh, he's done.
0: And hey, sorry, Adam, just to correct myself here uh, Matthews hasn't hit <laughs> 100 yet. He topped out at 80 this year. Oh, okay. My bad. Yeah, no worries. Now, one of the big bright spots for Winnipeg last season has to be the play of goaltender Connor Hellebuck, who ended up winning his first Vesna Trophy, as top goalie last season with a 31-21-5 record. Hellebuck has been an absolute stud for Winnipeg since his arrival, and now with his Vesna Trophy win, expectations are going to be sky high for him heading into the 2020 season. What kind of expectations are you personally putting on Hellebuck as we head into this upcoming season?
5: So the expectation level was sky high, obviously, with him winning the Vesna Trophy. But honestly, he's going to pick up right where he left off. I, I can't see how he wouldn't. I mean, yeah, the, the playoffs were a little bit of an anomaly. There was a uh, picture going around Twitter that uh, had he was way out of position and had his back turned to the Calgary Flames. But again, it was such a weird playoffs. I mean, look at the, uh, the Leafs-Columbus uh, series. Like, that was such a weird series as well. And, you know, a lot of rust was definitely shown on a lot of the players uh, during that play in round. So, um, but I, I fully expect that uh, he's going to be right back uh, to where he was. Um, and, and who knows, like the, the biggest question is, is going to be on defense um, with the team, but I, I have faith that we've made enough moves that uh, we're, we're going to be okay. But, Uh, In terms of Hellebuck repeating uh, as Vesna, I I feel pretty confident. He's a young goalie. He's a really good uh, member of uh, the Winnipeg community. Interesting fact on him, when he uh, picked his number 37, even though the Winnipeg Jets did not retire uh, Dan Snyder's 37 with the uh, Atlanta Thrashers, uh, he did not wear it until he talked to Dan's parents, and Dan's parents gave him the okay to wear it. So... Again, I think he's a really good player. I think he's a really good community minded guy, and I think he's going to have a really good season whenever it starts.
0: Honestly, Hellebuck's been one of my favorite goalies to watch. And it, it's actually really fascinating talking about him winning the Vezina last year because, I mean, he went up against Tuka Rask and Andre Vasilevsky. Now, given that as a Senators fan, obviously, I follow the Atlantic division very much more closely given our teams in there. But I actually got to ask, though, because. Hellebuck's win definitely came as a surprise to me, but how much of that do you think factors into the fact that Winnipeg plays in one of the toughest divisions in the Central Division? Well, that's
5: a good question. It definitely factored in there. Remember, the goal, a lot of goalies in uh, the Central are, are quite phenomenal as well. Now, you know, some of them, uh, like in Nashville, they're getting a little older, and there's going to be a changing of the guard soon. Uh, obviously, St. Louis has a fantastic goalie. And uh, Dallas was... uh, Where did that come from, eh,
0: guys? Oh, I know. Like, it was unbelievable. I couldn't believe that Anton Kodolbin just came out of nowhere and almost single-handedly won the cup for them.
1: Well, that Dallas team was... They were a team that everyone was like, will they or won't they? And then they just finally turned the corner. And what was bizarre was just...
5: All of this depth kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, and it's it, the nice thing with the, that Dallas team, and you can tell it on definitely on paper, is that their defense is is phenomenal. And they finally had uh, the defense uh, showing up for them uh, in the postseason this year.
0: So looking at the Jets roster right now, one area that seems to be a major weakness is in their defense. As you were talking about earlier with Dustin Buffalo walking away from the team, Winnipeg has tried to fill that hole with guys like Dylan Tamello. With some of the bigger names of free agency this offseason being defensemen, were you kind of hoping Winnipeg was going to go out and land one of those guys? Or were you pretty convinced management didn't feel the need to address it?
5: Oh, yeah. Defense is something that uh, is a giant question mark for this team. Again, a uh, huge thank you to the Ottawa Senators for the gift that is Dylan DeMello. i got to tell you that right now. Yeah, we <laughs> know. That. Yeah. Um. One of the hardest things is when you look at uh, the Winnipeg Jets farm system is a player that I was, uh, and most people were very high on, was Sammy Niku. And the problem with him is that, I think it was last season, uh, Winnipeg kind of had a situation like the Sens did uh, with Ubergate where uh, him and one of the other players uh, got in an accident not too, too far from the arena. And it kind of left a sour note in the community. But He is still seen as our best defensive prospect. But again at age 25 He's starting to get up there. So it's kind of like for this season coming in now It's gonna be a make-or-break season for him Is he gonna make it as a defenseman or is this kind of the best we're gonna get out of him? But again, you look at what we have so we got De Mello um, uh, Pionic Pullman uh, Spisa, you know, these guys are, are serviceable for sure You know, you look at, and again, this is kind of the first time I can talk about the Canadian division. Uh, I would put our defense as a little bit higher than the Leafs, even though the Leafs do have a couple better defensemen, I'd say. But I'd say all around, our defense is a little more well-rounded out than Toronto Maple Leafs at this point.
0: Part of me wants to say that's kind of a hot take, but honestly, when I think of the Leafs' defense, given that they just landed TJ Brody, so they got Brody... They have Morgan Riley and a couple of other Muzzin. guys. Muzzin. And Jake Muzzin. So yeah, I, I would kind of agree with that. I would agree the Jets have a more well-rounded defense, but I think talent-wise, I think Toronto has won a peg in that department.
1: The it could weird, be. Though, just because it's like three very, very good
5: defensemen, and then all of a sudden it just falls off a cliff. Exactly. And as you guys know, anything can happen, a, a freak injury, and uh, they're in real trouble.
0: Yeah, or, you know, Tavares hits the post. <laughs> uh, never gets old. It never gets old. <laughs> so, Tim, do you have any more questions for Adam regarding the Jets? Um,
1: not that I can think of, other than just, I know that you said that uh, Paul Maurice is on the hot seat. Do you think Shevel Day off
5: might be next? I'm beginning to think that... Again, it it goes back to – and why am I drawing a blank? I can't remember. But um, um, when we were, uh, you know, talking about uh, the situation on defense there, like this is – it lies in his uh, lap. He's had – this will be – this is the 10th season of Winnipeg Jets hockey. And, yeah, he had a great 2017, but the old question becomes, what have you done for us lately? And the question – the answer is, well – we had a first round exit against St. Louis. We, and again, who knows if the season had gone the full 82, I still don't think Winnipeg would have made it. But the good thing that he has now is uh, after that draft, I am absolutely, uh, I'm so happy that we were able to pick uh, at uh, 10th. And, uh, you know, we got a fantastic centerman that's not, he's not ready to go. He's not ready to go. And that, that's why we were able to get Paul Stastny. Uh, off of Vegas team that needed to shed and still does need to shed uh, salary cap. So I think that Stastny is going to be a good stop gate for a couple of years and uh, then we'll see what he can do when he comes in.
0: So Adam, we can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your schedule today to join us for the Jets segment on our episode. Now, two things before we let you go, as always, we got to ask, where can the people find you on social media and where can they find the three ghosts and the Wait four ghosts podcast?
5: So, three ghosts, no way, four ghosts is at three ghosts and the number three, uh, underscore four ghosts, and the number four. And, crap, what is my Twitter handle? I'm to look that up. <laughs> Amazing. Apparently, <laughs> I'm so well prepared. It's at AdamYoung329 on Twitter.
0: Excellent. And the final question, Adam, with the entire NHL releasing their reverse retro jerseys, in one word, what is your opinion on the Jets' retro reverse jersey?
5: Uh, I'd like to know uh, who copied the uh, jerseys from the New York Islanders when they moved uh, from Long Island over to uh, uh, Brooklyn. Man, the, the Islanders didn't even try. And they didn't even try.
0: No. They should have just brought back the the Captain Highlander jerseys.
5: Yeah, like the
1: Rangers brought back the Lady Liberty jerseys. It's the least they can do.
0: I know. Exactly. Jamie McClendon Jamie would have approved.
5: Oh, absolutely.
0: Adam, thank you so much, buddy.
5: Hey, thanks for having me on, guys.
0: Sure, bud.
5: Hey, this is Jamie McClendon from TSN, and you're listening to the Third Line Plug Sends Cast.
0: All right, we are back. A big shout-out to Braden Ursell, Mike Gold, Preston Hutchinson, and Adam Young for taking time out of their schedule to join us for our 2020-21 Season Preview Western Conference episode. Yeah, no. It's uh, it was awesome for everyone to take a
1: bit of time out of their day to help our listeners, and I think Sens fans everywhere really get kind of a better view for how fans, media, and bloggers, etc., view their teams because it's really easy to just kind of get super focused in on the Sens.
0: It is, especially for us, because that's our primary franchise to cheer for. But that's also the basis of what our show is based on as well. Of course. So, Tim, do you have any comments you want to make before we close it out for another evening?
1: I can't wait for NHL to come back, Matt.
0: Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network, where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901HoneyBadger, and I'm at Great G R Eight. W-Y-T-E, GIFster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the Western Conference edition of our season preview show, shoot us an email, thirdlineplugsenscast at gmail.com. And we also can't forget, if you're a listener on iTunes, give us that five-star rating. You will be forever thankful. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson.
1: And this has been Tim
0: Jetsky. Go Sens, guys. Woo!